Amen. Thank you, Brother Moore. Bless my heart. That's a good prayer. Good prayer. All right. In Philippians chapter 1, 9 through 11 has been our text for a little while. And this has sprang from what it says in the 6th chapter of Galatians about be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. And what I've chosen to do, I believe the Lord led me to, is to take the positive side of that. I've not preached a single message. I might have mentioned some things, but not a single message on the negative side of that. We all understand it. I think we understand it. We, I think we've experienced it. I think we've seen it. We've witnessed it. Uh, that sowing to the flesh uh, reaps corruption. And so into the Spirit reaps great blessings. So that's been our subject for some time. And we come to the point about prayer as being a way to sow to the Spirit. And I think we understand that, that every child of God, every true child of God, our experience with, with the Holy Spirit is that He leads us and He burdens us for the things that we need to pray for. And so what I decided to do was take some of those texts that were actually, it was stated in there that this I pray, whoever, whoever wrote that, they wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if, if we find where that has happened, we're inspired to pray for those things too. On behalf of our church or our brothers and sisters in the Lord or whoever else that it may be. And so we've been on this one for a little while because verse 9 says, And this I pray. This is the Apostle Paul, of course, and he's going to tell us what he's praying for. This I pray. He says, talking about the church at Philippi, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or in discernment. And what an awesome thing to pray for. And so I want you to know the way I personally feel about that. I can pray for the Emmanuel Baptist Church. The same thing. Lord, that we may grow. And how important that is, that we may grow. And then I've been on verse 11 for a little while, and I want to continue with that. And there, this is the reward, reward of growing. That it ought to be a great motivation for us when we, when we look at this. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, if I was not interested in the glory and praise of God, I probably wouldn't be interested in anything else in this verse. But this is not a boastful statement that I make. I sincerely desire the glory and praise of God. I want you to know that your preacher is motivated by that. That he's motivated by that. That what I do in the service of my Lord, that is my desire. Is uh, that he be uh, praised and he be glorified in, in all things that happen uh, in our life. So... I've already shared with you the fruits, what they are that I find in the scripture. And so we're going to come down to this statement which is made in this verse. 
And it's such an interesting statement when it talks about the fruits of righteousness, it says, which are by Jesus Christ. Now that, that is a powerful statement that is made there. And I want to try to share with you tonight some of the things that uh, I think are needful as far as bearing fruit, what, what it flows from, but primarily it flows from the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in our personal life. Of course it would be. And I want to say this right up front, that this doesn't mean that I'm passive in those things. If I, as a Christian, I would not be sincere if I cried out to God for certain things that I've been promised in the Scripture, but then I was not willing to put forth every effort I could toward that. So I want you to know that we're not passive in that. We have a promise in this, and then we are to move uh, along that line. So, which are by Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this, that these, um, uh, these fruit, the, the fruit that we've been thinking about and looking at in the Scripture, and as I've shared with you already, I've, I've read a lot over the years about what, that, what fruit is, and I have seen things that were just flat wrong. Now, uh, and it may be beneficial, something that uh, we, we bear, but we need to really stick with what the Bible teaches about it. And I think I've done that in describing what these fruits are, fruits of righteousness. And we spent a couple of weeks on that very subject. But what I want to do is <clears throat> I want to share with you not just that it's by Jesus Christ, and I will. I will show you. You will, there will be no doubt whatsoever why that's stated that way. We will understand that with, with all clarity related to that. So, but I want to share with you some things that are a part of that. First thing I want to share with you, that these fruits can only flow from a renewed heart. Now you might remember that this morning about good works. And so it... I, I think it was providence that we that I landed on both of these things at the same time and thinking about how can I make a distinction between the two of them, good works and fruit. And if you think about it, uh, it, it would be difficult because they mingle together. They're one and the same. In other words, our fruit is good works and our good works is fruit when, the, when it's right, when it's right. But uh, <clears throat> I made that point this morning about the good works, they must, good works can only come from a renewed heart. They can only come from faith. And the same thing is true about fruit. Fruit can only come from a renewed heart, from a heart that has been made new by the marvelous grace of God in us. And we understand that as believers. We understand that we have a new heart and we have a new nature. When we're saved. That's what makes us different from the way we used to be. And it's what makes us different from the unsaved in the world. Is that we've been given something new. We've been given a new heart. And that is the greatest reflection of that I think is our desire to honor him. I've talked about the desire for his praise and his glory. That's what motivates us. We, just, we sincerely desire that. We sincerely desire that. And so it has to flow from a renewed heart. The fruit. Now, <clears throat> let me illustrate that with a passage in the book of Luke. 
And you can turn back there if you would in the 8th chapter. This is something everybody, excuse me, everybody is familiar uh, with this text. And when I read it, uh, you, you will know why I said that, that it's familiar. But I want to make the connection here between bearing fruit and the condition of the heart. Now you would say, this is the parable of the sower that you're about to read about. Well, it is a parable of the sower. A sower went forth to sow. But actually what it is, is a parable of the heart condition, is what it is. Now remember, I said that fruit can only flow from a renewed heart. It can only flow. Even if we thought we had fruit and the heart was not renewed, it's rejected of the Lord. I proved that this morning from the Bible, that God rejects good works or attempt to bear fruit or whatever if it's not right, if it doesn't come from faith. Faith without works is dead, and it's impossible to please God. So you understand how a person could do all of the good works in the world or bear all the, attempt to bear all the fruit in the world, God, if God's not pleased with it, and it may have uh, good results, it may be good in itself. You understand what I'm saying? I, I've known a lot of people. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the churches that I pastored, uh, there, there is a, uh, a religion, I'm not going to call it, they claim Christianity, but they're not Christianity not according to the Bible, but they came into a, a place where I was pastor one time years ago, and they, they began, and it was a poor, poor area, and so they began to do all kinds of good stuff. They began to, they brought truckloads of clothing and food and all kinds of stuff, and of course, I, I knew what they were doing. Their, their motive was wrong. Their motive was wrong. I didn't support what they were trying to do. But I did think that giving these poor people clothes and giving them food and everything was good in itself. And I'm glad they did that. I just hate that they did it in order to uh, try to entrap people in something that is false. But anyway, this is the parable of the condition of the heart. And I want you to know that this is connected in this parable with bearing fruit. I'll just start reading, reading in verse number 4. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Well, uh, a sower of the seed, and all of us are, if we're a child of God, you say, well, that means the preacher is a sower. Well, Christ is a sower originally in the text, but uh, we all sow seed. We all talk to people about their personal relationship with the Lord, and we seek to win people to Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the great commission that's been given uh, to the church. But sometimes it doesn't amount to anything. In other words, the condition of the ground here was too hard to, for the seed to penetrate. It was just too hard. It was trodden. That's what this means. It was trodden down. And then it says that the fowl of the air, which is the devil, of course, come and snatched it away. 
And so that happens. It, it just happens. And uh, it goes on in verse 6. And some fell on a rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because there was lack of moisture. And uh, the other day, of course, uh, I use uh, seed I, in my garden uh, that's original, and it's not uh, it's original seed. It's not it's it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have uh, I have um, uh, half runner seed that I save the seed off of it. You know that if you go out and buy half runner seed and you you plant it in your garden and everything, when it comes up, you no no sense in saving the seed, and because it won't come up. In other words, it's been uh, tampered with and crossed and all kinds of stuff. I have some original seed that have been in my family for a hundred years. And isn't that something? But I've got them. And if anybody wants some, I'll, I'll save you some. I'll pull the bean off and put it in a sack and you can dry it out and, pe- and peel it out yourself. <laughs> but anyway, I, I have that. Uh, used to, this was kind of a hobby. But I, I would preach all over the mountains. And um, I don't know whether they didn't like me or what, or what, but they don't ask me much anymore to do that. But um, every time you get around these mountain people, you know, you, they're going to feed you. Oh, and I, the reason I look the way I do is I've been fed well over the years. But anyway, I, I might say, man, them is some good green beans. What are them? And one lady told me, said, well... They're turkey craw beans. I said, turkey craw beans? I said, I've never heard of a turkey craw bean. Why is it called turkey craw beans? He said, well, one of the men up in the holler there one time, he killed a turkey, and when he cleaned the craw out, there was a single seed in there, single bean seed. So he dried it out, and the next year he planted it, and then that's where that come from. And, of course, I'd never tasted green beans like that before. And so I ended up with a turkey craw bean. But I, I would get all kinds of stuff, you know, different kinds of beans. And used to it was a hobby. I had this little hobby, you know. And I had tons and tons of seed that had strange names, you know. It wasn't, wasn't something that uh, anybody bought in a store, you know. You couldn't get it in the store. But... Um, Anyway, I was going to tell this, what I do every year if I've had seed for a long time, and maybe it's been years since I've planted it, I'll take a little container of some kind, and I'll wrap five or six seed up in a piece of paper towel, lay it in there, and put some water in there, and then shut the lid, and I go back in a week or so to see uh, if the seed are still good, and if they germinate. Well, I did that with these half-runner seed, and I, I opened it up, and boy, they were shooting up there, you know, and I mean, just looked so pretty and everything, and so I just left it open and went on my way. Come back in a little while, three or four days, and they'd withered away. They withered away because there wasn't no more moisture in there, and there wasn't no, nothing to feed them and everything. That's what this verse is saying. Some seed are like that. They... Uh, there's no moisture. There's nothing there to support it and everything. He goes on in verse 7, And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up uh, with it and choked it. And you know, that's, that's pretty descriptive, is it not? Sometimes that's what happens. I may preach a sermon, and 
People get excited about that sermon and they'll tell me that they are, but the next thing I know they're choked. Something else has uh, sprang up with it. And others fell on good ground and sprang up, and here's the statement, and bear fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath an ear, let him hear. And of course, we do hear that. We know exactly what that is. Good ground bears good fruit. Bad ground does not bear fruit. That is a picture of the condition of a heart. And so that's necessary for the bearing of fruit. And uh, so that's, that's where it, where it uh, flows from. The next thing I want to share is it flows from an ongoing attitude of repentance. Now you've heard me say this, and you can turn to Matthew chapter 3 if you would, but you've heard me say this a lot of times. I believe it with all my heart. I believe it because it's true in my personal experience. God grants repentance. The Bible says that. It is a grace gift. It is a gift from the Lord. Repentance is. Faith and repentance are both grace gifts. I was, Brother Moore and I were talking this morning about faith. We had a really good, we have some of the most awesome theological discussions there ever was. You should have heard one we had a while ago sitting out there on the, on the bench. And <laughs> it was neat. But anyway, and Brother Moore said, now I don't, this is my view, but I don't know that I'd preach on that. <laughs> Sometimes that's what preachers do. They have these views, and, and if they're not careful, they fail to share that it's a theory I've got. You know, this is what I think. That doesn't mean it's what it is. But anyway, we talked about that. We talked about that uh, this morning. And so one of the things that I stated was that Jesus is the author and finisher of my faith. Now, what do you think about that? You say, preacher, is that scriptural? Well, it sure is. In Hebrews chapter 12, you can read it there. That he is the author and finisher of our faith. So the next time we get to feeling real proud that we're, we've got faith, just remember where it come from. Just remember where it come from. And if you get to thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it in, well, don't you forget that he's also the finisher. And you, I've preached it so many times. He does not start what he's not going to finish. That's Bible. That's the scripture. But anyway, in Matthew, in the third chapter, and I'll, I'll begin reading here. What I started to tell you a while ago was this is my view. I believe that once the Lord grants repentance, then we're going to be repenting for the rest of our life. And I know that's been your experience. It has been mine. Once the Lord grants repentance, we don't never stop. And if we've stopped, then there's something wrong. Amen? Something wrong. In other words, we might think I've got it all sewed up. I've arrived. I can't improve or anything. Well, you're wrong. Okay, here's what it says in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Then went out unto him, that's John the Baptist, John the Baptist. Verse 4 says, And the same John had his raiment of camel hair and a leather girdle about his loin, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. 
I don't know about you all, but I've never eaten any locusts. I've eaten a lot of honey, but not locusts. But anyway, that's talking about John the Baptist. Verse 5, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sin. I want to point out something about the text. Everybody wasn't confessing their sin. Only those that he was baptizing had confessed their sin. That's, that's what's in this text. And, and so we, we learn that. Verse 7 says, And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come, come to his baptism, he wasn't baptizing them. They just attended. They came to it. He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Boy, he was, a, he was a good preacher, wasn't he? Just tell it like it is. Tell it like it is. And then he says this in verse 8. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat or suitable for repentance. And when we are in the attitude of repentance and we realize our shortcomings and our weakness and we're always saying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, forgive me. Aren't you thankful for ongoing forgiveness? And the blood of Jesus cleanseth us from all sin. I love it. I love it. And I, I admit and I confess that I have shortcomings and I have weaknesses. And I admit that I call out, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. There's nothing wrong with that. I want mercy. I love mercy. I love grace. And those are the things that I need. And so he says, bring forth therefore fruits suitable. That's what meat means here for repentance. And so that's the reason I say that fruit flows from an attitude of repentance. And I believe once the Lord grants it, then it's always present. And we'll continue to see it over and over. The next thing I want to point out is that fruit flows from a life in Christ. The Bible tells us that's the way it describes it. If you're saved tonight, you are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. You are in Christ and Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's where the fruit comes from. Now, as you would imagine, I can really pour that point on about the fruit flowing from Christ. And I'm going to give you a text that you're so familiar with. It's in the book of John, and it's chapter number 15. In the book of John, chapter 15. And I'm going to, I'm going to share with you something unique about this chapter tonight. I'm going to share with you something very unique. So hang on to your pew, because it's coming. Now remember our text says, uh, bearing fruit by Jesus Christ. So I'm going to tell you tonight, if there's any fruit in my life, I'm going to tell you where it comes from. And you know I can with this passage of Scripture. I'll just start reading in verse number 1. Jesus says this, I am the vine, and my Father is the husbandman, or the harbor keeper, whatever you want to call it. And listen to this, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, 
that it may bring forth more fruit. Now I was sharing this little story. I think it was Brother Cecil. I've got this awesome apple tree. And I might have told everybody about this. Yeah, I see some heads shaking. Sue, I'm telling one again. <laughs> she said, you, you, you can tell those things, but you don't have to tell them over and over. Well, just don't forget somebody's... List. Brother Moore said, good, go ahead and tell it. But there are people that may be listening to this that's never heard this. But one year, well, to begin with, there was this apple tree. And my brother had it. And it was growing really close to his barn. And over the years, it had got bigger and bigger and bigger and growing away from the barn until it was about to fall. But those apples were absolutely out of this world. And we would just about fight over them. I'd sneak in there when nobody was home, and I'd get me a bunch of apples. It growed the nicest big apples and everything. <clears throat> and I said, I told Randall, I said, Randall, before it falls, let me see if I can save that. And I'm going to, I went to, I went to see Joe Estes. Y'all remember Joe Estes? He was a he had a big apple orchard and he knew how to graft and uh, create. Well, I had uh, thrown a bunch of apple seeds in a in something and covered them up and everything and a little tree got up about like that. And I went to that old tree and I uh, had he told me how to do it. You go before the sap comes up and you get a sucker. It takes a sucker. And you cut it at a certain angle, and you cut the original stock at a certain angle. You put them together and tape them up together, and you cut off every joint, every place where a leaf comes out. You don't you don't put one on there that's got a whole bunch of them because that's too much for it to supply. Just one, and I cut it off and put it on there, and it started. So I planted it and. One year, boy, I tell you what, I was giving apples away like crazy. Biggest, nicest apples there ever was. And you know what? That tree just stopped. It, it never produced any. And it went, it's gone for years and not produced. I told Sue, I said, I'm going to try my best to get some fruit from that tree. Because it's biblical. You know, the, Jesus' teaching was, leave it alone, dung it, and... Do, do what you need to do to it. Leave it alone. See if it will bear fruit. Well, I spent all day yesterday up in that apple tree trimming that thing. And, you know, in the wintertime, uh, uh, apple tree, the, a bird can fly through it. In the, you know, when there's no leaves, and that's what it takes. And you cut off any new growth that's shooting straight up in the air and all that. Well, I got in there, and I, I had a whole load of stuff I'd cut out of that tree and everything, opened it up. So, if y'all want to pray a silly prayer, pray that the preacher gets some apples this year. <laughs> I'll share them with you if I do. But anyway, uh, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. He said, everyone that bears fruit, he don't just leave that alone. He purgeth it that it bear more fruit. I want to tell y'all something tonight. If you've got fruit in your life, I know what the Lord's doing. He's purging you so you'll bear more fruit. And you know the reason why in this passage of Scripture, He says it in verse 8. 
Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciple, or show yourself to be my disciple. It's what that is. In other words, we don't become a disciple for, for bearing fruit. We show ourselves to be a disciple because we are bearing fruit. And he's glorified when we do that. But let me read in verse 4. Now, this is an interesting thing. And I'm going to share something with you tonight you might not have ever thought about. He said, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Now, I, I have read, I know that this is misinterpreted. I know it because I've read it. Brother Randy gave me a book one time, and I've looked everywhere for that book. I don't know what happened to it. Some of their relatives wrote a book on John chapter 15, and Randy shared that with me. And, and, and I was going to look, look in there. I cannot find that book. Maybe he's got an extra copy or something. But here's, here's what I want to share with you. My thought one time years ago when I read this was, abide in me as meaning stay in me. Don't get out of me or you can't bear fruit. Well, of course, that's true. But abide, there are two dictionary definitions of that word. Now, I want you to follow me on this. One is to uh, continue in a place or remain attached. Now, it would be unscriptural for me to tell you that this word abide means remain attached. Because I preach to you all the time that once you're attached, you're attached. That's a fact. That's a scriptural fact. But there's another dictionary definition of that, and it just simply means to dwell or reside in Christ. And what Jesus is saying here is dwell in me, because you can't bear fruit unless you dwell in me. That dwell exists there, being in Christ. Now what I'm going to do, and I don't know if I have time to share all of this with you, I'm going to prove that to you by the Scripture. That it simply means to dwell. Not remain attached, but simply means dwell. Alright, look with me if you would. In the 6th chapter, I'll, I'll do several of these right quickly. In chapter 6 of the book of John, you can take note of this if you want to. And in verse 56, it says, Jesus said, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. The word dwelleth is the same Greek word as abide. And it means to dwell there. Just to be there. Be in Christ. Now, I'm sure you'd want me to make further comment on that single verse, but I'll not do it now because I want to share this with you. Also, uh, in chapter 14, chapter 14 of this book of John, chapter 14, and here's what it Here's what it tells us. In chapter 14, in verse number 10. Verse 10, here's what Jesus said. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. The word dwelleth there is the same Greek word as abide. Folks, I'm telling you tonight, to abide in Christ means to dwell there. It don't mean stay attached. It means to dwell there. 
Alright? Now look with me if you would in the 16th verse of that same chapter. And Jesus says this, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Once that he abides with us, it is forever. Also in the 17th verse, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth, that word is the same Greek word as abide, dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That's what that word means. It means, abide means dwelling in you, not remaining attached, as some may say. First John, uh, let me share this with you. In the little book of First John, and here's what it says in chapter uh, number 2. 1 John uh, chapter number 2. And let me read uh, in verse 3 through 6. You're familiar with this verse of scripture, I know. But it says this, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Isn't that something? How do you know you're saved? Well, you do what the Lord wants you to do. He goes on to say, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth's not in him. Those are powerful words, but it's true. And he says in verse 5, But whosoever keepeth his word in him, it verily is the love of God perfected. And hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth. There's that word. Abideth in him ought to himself to walk even as he walked. That just makes all kinds of sense. That's the truth. That's the way it is. Also, in chapter 3, and verse 24 of this little book. Chapter 3 and verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. That's the same Greek word as abide. Dwelleth in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth, there it is again, in us by the spirit which he hath given us. And you hear me say this all the time. I just don't believe that someone can really truly be saved and not know it over time. It may be initially, we understand that sometimes when people first come to Christ, they're not really sure about their relationship with Him. But what happens to us in time as we grow in Him, we come to understand that the Holy Spirit lives in me. He lives in me. And so that's a wonderful uh, thought that we can have. Also in chapter 4 of this little book, uh, chapter 4, if you'll look with me in verse 12, uh, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. He dwelleth in us. That's the same word as abide. Verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him. Dwell is the same word as abide. And he in us because he hath given us his spirit. Verse 15, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God... God dwelleth in him. There's the same word as abide. It's dwelling, see. And verse 16, And we know and believe that the love of God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Those words, dwelleth, same as the word abide. So I want everybody, listen to me now, 
when we take this up again, we'll, be, we'll jump right in there and everybody's going to understand what it means to abide. It does not mean remain attached. I've had, I've had people who believed in work salvation to quote this to me and say, here's what the Bible says. If you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to stay attached to Jesus. That's not what that says. I've proved it to you tonight with the Bible. It simply means to be in Christ. Abide in Him means to dwell there. And all of these verses of Scripture that I've given you bear that out. And so we'll take that and then when we pick this back up, I'll show you that nobody bears fruit without being attached to the vine. Amen? That's exactly right. So boy, we, can, we learn to appreciate what it means when it says... Uh, bearing fruit which is by Jesus Christ. You see, what I've shared with you tonight, I've just pure old robbed myself. I've robbed myself of any glory uh, for any fruit that I might bear. And don't be mad at me, but I've robbed you too. You can't do it. I can tell you where it comes from. Father, we praise you and thank you for the way you teach us. We thank you that your word is clear about so many things. And it's all to your honor and your glory. I pray you, pray you would bless us now as we sing this closing number, Lord, that we might make whatever commitments you are leading us to make uh, to your honor and your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Would you stand with me now as Aaron leads us?